My name is Scott, and I'm the lead pastor here at UDAC. If you're visiting us, we just welcome you here tonight. And of course, we welcome our church family as well. All through the month of December in these five talks, we've been beginning the message and then ending the service with a prayer from Scripture. And so I'd like you to just receive this prayer. It's a beautiful prayer found in the book of Romans. And the Apostle Paul writes to the church there and he writes to you as well. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And as you've heard over and over tonight, we're talking about hope through the Advent season, and we're exploring it through the five senses, the Christmas story. And so we began by talking about the idea of taste, and we did this through the story of Mary, and then the story of touch with the story of Elizabeth. And then we talked about the first smells of Christmas, what it smelt like at the first Christmas. Last week, we talked about sound, and we read the story listening for the sounds that sort of echoed off the page. And tonight, we're going to talk about the sight of hope. In a few minutes' time, when we're done here, and uh, we've turned all the lights out and stuff like that, and we head home, like many of you, our family will practice a Christmas tradition that lots of people do. We'll drive all around the neighborhood and different parts of the city looking at the Christmas lights. And as we do that, there'll be no sounds and there'll be no smell and there'll be no taste and of course there'll be no touch. We'll just be visually engaged looking at the lights together. And as I'm driving, just like you, if you're the one driving, your head will be on a bit of a swivel and you'll be looking around, looking for the streets that have the nicest lights and the prettiest lights, and then making quick turns as you go down to see the lights. And so when you see Christmas, what do you see? When you see Christmas, what do you see? So what I want to do is read a familiar passage, at least it's familiar probably to many of us here, but for some of us it might be new. It's the one that Debbie read to us earlier, but I'd like to read it again. I think there's something significant in the reading of Scripture. It says that in the Bible somewhere, actually. So found in the first book of the New Testament, we see the biography of Jesus called a gospel in Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the chief people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel." 
Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their gifts, their treasures, and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And so sometime, and we're not sure exactly when, Sometime after the birth of Jesus, the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who was born, as you've heard, in very humble surroundings, in surroundings that they would not have expected Messiah to be born into. Sometime after this took place, a star appears. And it's interesting to me that if you read all of the biographies, or we call them the Gospels, which are a record of the life of Jesus, the opening pattern as you read these four books are always come see. If I could summarize those opening chapters of those biographies, it would be with two words, come see. And then you see the story of Jesus unfold, and then... If I could summarize the ending of each of those biographies, it would be with the words, go tell. And that's what we're doing tonight, we're telling. But it all begins with come see. And so I'm wondering if you would come see with me for the next few minutes together. And so God arranges for this star to appear and it has a unique quality about it. The people that understand this stuff recognize this unique quality. And the the scholars would suggest that these are men of science, they're astronomers, probably who came from the land of Babylon to the east. And there was many Jewish people we know at that time living in that part of the world. And so they might have familiarized these guys with the prophets uh, speaking about the coming of Messiah from the Old Testament, about how the Messiah would come, about how he would, why he would come and his purpose in coming. And we see that revealed in the previous chapter in Matthew in verse 21. We're told that the reason that Messiah would come is that he might save his people, which means me and means you. The reason that Messiah would come that he might save his people from their sins. And so they understood and appreciated why he was coming and that this was at the heart of why Messiah, King Jesus, came. And they understood that this was in fulfillment of of Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, that prophetically talked about how this star would appear. So I'm guessing, and this is just a guess, that this star had unique qualities about it that they recognized. And so they came on a very distinctive mission that we'll talk about in just a couple minutes' time. So they keep their eyes on the star, and, and it leads them on a very long journey, very arduous, dangerous journey, to the area of Jerusalem, which was the capital city of Israel. 
And they start to ask around, and it's not a huge city at that point, it's a bigger city now, but it's not a huge city, but they begin to ask around and they say, where is the one who is born king of the Jews? And the rumor mill begins to circulate very quickly. There's some people of substance that are here, wealthy people that are looking for a king the king of the Jews, and everybody begins to hear about this, and King Herod, who has been put in charge as a sort of puppet ruler by the Roman authorities, hears, along with everybody else, that there's a king that's been born. And it says in verse 3 that Herod is disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Now, the reason the people were disturbed was not because the king had come. They'd been expecting a king. They knew and been taught all of their life, and this was the basis of their educational system, that the Messiah was going to come. And they were looking for the king to come. They were looking for a real king. They knew King Herod was not a real king. But they were looking for the king. So the reason they were disturbed is because they knew how Herod reacted whenever he felt threatened. People died. People en masse died. And so they were worried and they were scared about what might happen. And so when Herod hears what's happening and he sees what's happening, he's threatened by the presence of Jesus. And in fact, he becomes overtly hostile towards them. And so he arranges a back-channel meeting with these magi, with these sometimes called wise men. And he seeks to remove what he sees as his threat to his power. And so he concocts a plan that they didn't know about. And he finds out approximately the timeline of when this all took place. And he says, I'm going to send my soldiers to the little village, the little town of Bethlehem and surrounding area. And just to cover my bases, I'm going to have all of the male children that are two years of age and under put to the sword. And he has them all massacred. This is how evil this guy is. Evil personified, really. Well, the Magi have no idea that this is his plan. They are just here to come see the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And this is one of the reactions that typically some people will have, uh, a type of hostility towards the idea of Jesus or the person of Jesus or people who are followers of Jesus. And a few people, sadly, in our world have a Herod-like approach towards Jesus. And they become overtly hostile. And we see evidence of this all around the room, all around the world, rather. (laughs) Hopefully not in the room, right? (laughs) There's other people that are hostile to Jesus, but they are not physically violent in the way that Herod is. But we certainly see evidence of that kind of hostility, the latter, in our culture. A second reaction that we see is that of the chief priests and the teachers of the law. Now, in that day, these were the most educated and gifted people in, the, in their area. They would have been the top 1% of that society. 
and they were very intelligent. And so they spent all their day memorizing, they would have memorized the 39 books of the Old Testament verbatim. They spent all day talking about and debating the intricacies of what the, these things were being said in these 39 books. And they saw the writing on the wall in this circumstance very clearly. They had this stuff memorized. When Herod asked them the question about where the Christ would be born, they knew immediately to turn to Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and they could give the answer, boom, right now. This is where Messiah will be born. And so I think it would be a fair estimate to say that their eyes were completely wide open. They got it. But their reaction, and this is the reaction of some people, is they were completely apathetic to the coming of Jesus. And it's interesting when you read the text, their silence and inactivity is just overwhelming. They don't even go to check it out, which I can't really fathom. If you've been looking forward to this all your life and talking about this all your life, and they hear about this, they don't even go and check it out. And if you know the geography of that area, Bethlehem is very close to Jerusalem. This is not a long journey. And they don't even bother to go and check into this at all. Now, if you know me at all, you know I'm very pro-education. And in our culture, we pride ourselves on our education. But it's interesting to me that even with all of their education, and even with all their detailed foreknowledge of what to look for, for which, which they had. And let me just push pause for a second and say, which we all have as well. Even with all their education, even with all their foreknowledge, they still missed seeing the most important thing because they were apathetic. You ever had that happen when you're looking for something, really looking for something, and you can't find it, and it's actually right in front of you? And this is exactly what happened to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And so people react to the Christ child in different ways. When they see Jesus, sometimes they're just very overtly hostile. Sometimes their hostility is much more subdued and more simmering, but they're hostile. And then there's most people who are just apathetic. And then there's the Magi, which is perhaps a third possibility that this text suggests. They come with an entirely different posture. They come with a we come to see posture. And God honors that in the text because this is their heart desire to see Messiah. And he leads them to Jesus right away and they worship him, which was their mission to begin with. And they present him with three gifts. And we don't know how many magi there were, you know, some peop most people I think often assume there was three, and maybe there was three, but maybe there was two, the text doesn't say, maybe there was ten, we don't really know. We just know there were three gifts. And it's likely that uh, Mary and Joseph would have cashed these gifts in and used them to escape to Egypt, which you can read about later in chapter two. 
But I would suggest that there's also some symbolism attached to these three gifts. You don't go on this kind of journey without thinking it through. And so gold, which was the first gift, was the gift that you gave a king. Frankincense or incense was symbolic for them of deity. And myrrh, again, all very expensive gifts. Myrrh was a type of expensive embalming oil that was symbolic of his coming death. And so they come and they present their gifts to him. And then they bow down, the text says, probably on their faces. And they worshipped him as king. They worshipped him as God. When you see Christmas, what do you see? What, what path are you on? Is it, is it one of those three paths? Is it some morphing of those? Or maybe a slightly different one? Can I just presume for a minute that, that you would like to go on the journey with Jesus like the Magi did? And you're more or less here in a come and see mode. Why did Jesus go to all this effort? Considerable effort, mind-boggling effort actually. It's because he wanted to make available to us a relationship with God through himself, through Christ. And this is, as it says in the chapter, in chapter 1, in verse 21, this is at the heart of his mission. Not the mission in its entirety, but it's at the heart of his mission. And it's this, that he might save his people, meaning me and meaning you, that he might save his people from their sin. And so he comes to earth. Philippians tells us he humbles himself and he becomes a human being. He lives just like we do so that he can understand, doesn't have to try to understand. He understands exactly what it's like to live as we live. In fact, it says in different places that he was tempted in every conceivable way, and yet he never chose to sin. And so he understands exactly what you're facing in life, all the opportunities, all the the difficulties, all the good things, all the tough things. And he, he voluntarily came like that, and then he voluntarily went to the cross. And even though he could have walked away from this at any moment, voluntarily died in our place. And the, the result of this is he invites us, Scripture tells us, to receive forgiveness. And this is the ultimate act of love that history has ever known. Nothing else comes close. That God himself would die for you. And it's based on this sacrifice on your behalf and on my behalf that he offers forgiveness to whoever would receive it. And then equally important, and one goes with the other. You can't have one without the other. He asks us to surrender our lives to him. And so this is not for the faint of heart. It takes incredible courage. And there's absolutely nothing casual about it. 
And what he's saying is, I want you to trust me exclusively and uniquely for forgiveness. And it's a forgiveness that's entirely unearned. It's entirely unmerited. There's nothing you can do to gain it. You can't pay for it. You can't accumulate enough good actions that somehow surmount the difficult or the wrong choices or the sinful choices we've all made. There's nothing we can do except receive what he did. And then surrender our life to him. And at that point, it launches a relationship with him that impacts every day. And his intent would be it impacts every decision in our life for the rest of our life and then for all eternity. So this is a big time commitment. They don't get any bigger. And he reshapes our life and he empowers our life. And this as it says in verse 21, that he might save his people from their sins. This is the heart of the message that we see at Christmas. When you see Christmas, what do you see?